production. Reverend Michael Bernard Beckwith is the founder and director of the Agape International Spiritual Centre. Michael teaches that the vision we set for our lives begins a sacred process of unfolding that unlocks everything that is unique, mighty and magnificent inside each of us. This is a conversation about transcending the illusions of our mind, manifesting our dreams and what it means to truly devote oneself to a higher source. If we have a larger vision for our life and that is our North Star, that's what's pulling us, we're always walking in the direction of expansion. If we don't have a vision and we're just uh, stagnant, then pain comes along to push us. So I will say pain pushes until the vision pulls. I'm Sarah Grimberg, and this is A Life of Greatness. Working as a podcast and radio producer, I have been fortunate enough to cross paths with many intriguing people who have had a profound impact on me. In this series, I share stories and experiences from the people who have brought inspiration to my life and hopefully yours too. Reverend Michael Bernard Beckwith is the author of many books, including Life Visioning and Prosperity, Plentitude and Infinite Possibilities. Ultimately, this is a conversation about practising what you preach and how to live a self-actualised life of purpose, meaning and love. Sharing space with Michael was truly sacred My hope is that his wisdom fills the soul and reminds us all why we're here, to shine our light and live our best life. Michael Beckwith, you are the founder and spiritual director of the Agape International Spiritual Centre. You grew up in a Methodist church and you left religion at a young age to get into spirituality. Can you tell us a bit about your journey? Absolutely. I attended, um, when I was a young kid, I attended Holman's Methodist Church. And it was actually at that church at a, a, a young age, I met Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., as a matter of fact. Wow. A small boy. I remember shaking his hand and uh, telling my mom that um, he had very soft hands. <laughs> and she said, uh, he does a different kind of work, baby. <laughs> wow. And I think it's interesting that one of my best friends is his son, uh, Martin Luther the King III. But, um, yeah, I left, I left the uh, church as a teenager, and um, I was mainly agnostic, kind of atheistic, and um, there was nothing there that was pulling me to the church. I didn't really uh, believe in the doctrine that was being espoused at the time. As a matter of fact, when I was attending college, me and a friend of mine would go out and... Um, basically recruit people into atheism. <laughs> and uh, we'd see who could, who could bring the most people <laughs> to, to their senses, as we called it back in those days. So, you know, that was when I was attending Morehouse College in Atlanta, Georgia. Subsequently, I, I transferred to USC and I was a psychobiology major there. And a series of experiences began to happen that at the time I labeled pathological I was seeing visions, I was hearing things, um, I was leaving my body a lot. Um, but no, I wasn't trying to leave my body, it was just spontaneous leaving, traveling. Um, and I thought I had, I thought there was something wrong with me. Yeah. You know, this is back in 1973, 74, it's a long time ago. And 
And it's subsequently, it um, culminated with a, a lucid dream I was in that I was having pretty much every night where these three men were chasing me, but I would always wake up in time before they could capture me. And one night I decided not to run anymore. And I, I turned around and there was a small tent and thousands of people were trying to get into this very small tent. But I knew every single person in line. And so I thought, well, I would be safe. I have all of my friends here. And then one by one, they all turned their back on me. Two men held me down and one plunged a knife into my heart. And the pain physically and emotionally was excruciating and, and I died. And when I woke up from that, I could see differently. I could see that we were surrounded by this presence of love and the beauty, the, the love that permeated my, my being was beyond anything I could describe or anything I'd ever experienced before. The beauty that I was surrounded by was just beyond, I could see 365 degrees, not with my eyes, but with consciousness. And I never could get back in that box again. So I had to discover what had happened to me. And thus in discovering and researching what had happened, I bumped into the, the, the mysticism of Gautama the Buddha and Jesus the Christ and Zoriaster and Walter Russell and many, many beings uh, who had, uh, had awakenings like this. That yeah. was my beginning movement. Now, I wasn't trying to be um, a public figure or anything at that time. I was just enthralled with this presence of intelligence and love and beauty and it was more real to me than anything else. So I, I just developed a very strong spiritual practice and people would come around me and, and, and um, you know, I could help them, you know, with healings and things like that. Um, but I lost most of my friends. They thought I freaked out and lost my mind. Yeah. <laughs> and, and subsequently, um, I uh, grew into who I am now. Uh, began taking um, certain classes, did meditation retreats. Uh, I, I, was, I was fully involved in researching and discovering the, the, the truth of my being based on what had happened to me. And, and subsequently, many other experiences have happened even up to a month ago, uh, had, yeah. a, had a great awakening. Um, so that was my beginning. It happened more experientially. I wasn't like I went to a church or went to a seminar or read a book or anything. Uh, something happened. And my research didn't allow me to discover what had happened. Yeah. And it changed the course of my, my life. It changed my character. Um, a lot of miracles took place at that time for me. And, and you know, when I'm, when I'm speaking... I have, um, I, I know what I'm talking about because I've have a, a, I had a direct experience of something. It wasn't something yeah. that I studied about. Yeah. Well, you say you were reborn again in the same life. Yes, definitely. That's, it's, a, it's a real rebirth. Your yeah. same body, same name. I even changed my name, as a matter of fact, back in those days. Um, but yeah, it was a total, it's a total rebirth and a resurrection and a, a renewal that I have the same um, energy. When that happened, there was just so much energy. I have the same enthusiasm today about it all that I had 40 something years ago. 
Yes. It's it, nothing has waned in it at all. Yeah. When you look back at that time, obviously we said that you know it was like you were reborn again in the same life. But how how do you perceive that that occurrence that happened that night with the lucid dream? Uh, I think that. Um, hmm. You know, when I've studied some of the um, ways that people have opened in other cultures, like in India uh, and in Africa as well, um, it was like my soul was waking me up. Yeah. And and it was very dramatic. And and, and it, it was probably dramatic for me because I wasn't looking in that direction, I wasn't trying to awaken spiritually. I wasn't trying, I wasn't interested in enlightenment necessarily. Yeah. So I think the, uh, the sudden dramatic impact was sudden and dramatic because I wasn't quote unquote consciously on the path. I mean, I was a good person. I would never harm anybody or anything like that. So I think it was a dramatic opening that just totally shifted the trajectory of my life. So, you know, subsequently, I, I've, you know, I've had many times of lucid dreaming. I've uh, traveled, left my body, uh, used to practice doing that years ago. Um, you know, there are different things that I've participated in. Um, but that was, that was the initial opening. Yes. And then there's been other, I call it like a, a revelation that continues to unfold. Yes. So right here in this office is a couch behind me. And probably about six weeks ago, um, I was getting ready to do a, a, a podcast or a, a Zoom teaching. And so I, I, always, I sit back there and I meditate before I do pretty much anything. And when I opened my eyes, I was blind. I couldn't see. It was just all I could see was light. I was, I was surrounded by such luminosity that it was blinding. And so I called in um, two people, my, my uh, person that runs my office, Lee, and uh, another minister, Reverend Kathleen. I, I can't see. I said, I can't see. And so we postponed the, um, the interview. And, and then after a while, I realized that I was, I was in the light. And then after a period of time, I could see in this world, and I could also see all of the light that was everywhere. Then little by little by little, my vision came back. And when I looked at the two people that were in the room, I could see a fountain, like a fountain of light in their being. And I realized that that was who they are, that they're not the body. Now, I know these things, but I could see that they weren't the body. They were really this light, the light that lights up every man and woman that cometh into the world. And so the revelation that I had over 40 years ago, it continues and brings me fruitage every now and then. It's like something else will, will happen for me that um, leaves a residue of knowing, a residue of connection, a residue of all is well, uh, yeah. residue of strength. And, and, and I'm not special or anything like that. Um, I, I, I mean, I have a strong spiritual practice, but um, it, it, what I see about myself is true about everyone. There's no one. Yeah. The, the universal presence does not make special people. The, everyone is gifted with um, the same stuff. Yeah. We just have to dive in and discover it and uncover it and activate it. Yeah. What is your spiritual practice? 
my primary spiritual practice is meditation. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> so I meditate. I do um, pranayama. I do breath work. I uh, do the life visioning process. Um, I, I have a yoga practice. I work out. Um, but my primary practice is meditation. That's that's the, that's my foundational piece. And then I'll do other things on top of that. You are obviously the spiritual director and founder of the Agape Center. Can you tell us a bit about that and what you do there? Absolutely. Uh, this year is Agape's 35th year in existence. Our first uh, opening was November 30th, 1986. It's a very strong spiritual, metaphysical, trans-denominational community, meaning, you know, we, we apply and practice the spiritual teachings, the metaphysical laws that are found in every religion. If you can, if you yeah. uncover the religiosity, you'll see that every, every great mystic, every great teacher was pretty much teaching the same thing, but they were using the language and the parables of their own culture at that particular time. And it's, it's trans-denominational, meaning it, trans means cuts, uh, cuts through or goes beyond. So mm. it goes beyond denominations into what is called truth. So it's a truth teaching. If it's truth, then we're all about it. And it's a part of what we're about. So, so we are aware that we are um, at one with this, this presence, uh, uh, whatever name you call the presence, um, we're one with it, that the, it's a presence that's never an absence. The qualities of love and beauty and intelligence are intrinsic within us all, and that we seek to uh, affirmatively pray. That's the other part of the practice, affirmative prayer, uh, and meditate to uncover this within us and to express it fully yeah. so that uh, the gifts of um, health and prosperity and joy and generosity begin to flow through us. Uh, when we have an alignment with the presence. And this is not a religious quest. It's a quest for freedom and liberation. You're, 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 you're liberating yourself from limited thought. You're liberating yourself from superstition. You're liberating yourself from uh, limited perception so that you can actually see reality. So this is the community is about meditation, life visioning, sacred service, we have classes, we have a university where people open themselves up to be able to see that which is real because yeah. most people, they don't see reality. They only see their thoughts about reality and then they experience their thoughts about reality. But most people don't participate in reality. They can't see it. Their, their, their mind is too clouded. So through meditation and affirmative prayer and study and high fellowship, we bring people into uh, right seeing, you see. That's beautiful. Michael, you say happiness and joy are innate to humans. Yes. Then why is it so hard for so many of us to find it? <clears throat> well, you know, the moment that we come into a human incarnation, we're imprinted. Our minds are imprinted with whatever the social milieu is at the time, whatever the status quo of the society is at the time, plus our parents schooling, religions, they all imprint us. And in, and, and, uh, and in that imprint, uh, we accumulate all manner of thoughts and beliefs, and we see life through that filter. 
Now, so in society, you know, we're basically trained to look outside of ourselves for happiness and joy and love and peace. You know, if you have enough money, you have enough cars, you have enough degrees, you have enough whatever, you'll one day be happy. So we're imprinted, we accumulate, and then we're trained this way. So it's very difficult for people to have sustained happiness and sustained joy because their happiness is joy is generally based upon something in the world of phenomena. So yeah. if something changes in the world of phenomena, then the happiness goes away because the happiness was emanating from something out there. Yeah. But once individuals begin to discover their real nature and they have a real insight into that, then the world of phenomena, it's always changing. It can continue to change, but your happiness doesn't go with it. Your joy yeah. doesn't go with it because you're radiating it from the depth of your being. You're not getting it from someone or something else. Now, I, I, you know, this has been taught for thousands of years, but it's still very difficult for people to catch because societal status quoism has a hold on people. And yeah. people, uh, they don't even really think. They're just uh, regurgitating thoughts forms, thought forms that they've heard on the news or something or, or from external authority figures and they haven't gone deep enough within themselves to discover that the only authority you are to have is the authority of your own conviction mm. based upon your own spiritual practice. Yeah. So, yeah. So you talk a lot about going within, which is obviously so important to be able to get in touch with our true nature and meditation. I know you've spoken about is such a big part of that. How else are we able to embody our true nature, to not get affected by the noise of the world? I think that uh, one of the uh, great empowering ways to walk in the world is to live with an, what I call an empowering question. Yes. And that is um, people generally are living into a question of if something goes on, the question of what's wrong or they'll live into the question of who's to blame. You know, why is this happening to me? Uh, and, and those are disempowering questions. So if an individual lives into a question of, one, you know, what good is present? What good is here that I presently can't see? That's a very powerful question. And if your mind takes that on, what good is here that I presently cannot see? It'll start to open up for you vistas of possibilities and opportunities that you can't see right now because your mind is flooded with noise. Or if you ask, what's trying to emerge in my life right now? What, what gift is trying to happen through me right now? You'll start to be prompted by the inner prompter, your own soul, about the next stage of your own unfolding. There's, there's something trying to happen. There's something trying to be more mature in you, trying to come forward. But that, that, is, that is a spiritual practice to basically take a, an empowering question or a series of them and live with them throughout the course of the day, the week, the month. And then your mind will reframe itself around that question. And then an answer will come because the universal presence through universal law will answer any question that you ask. But most people will not ask an empowering question they'll ask a disempowering question. Why me? Why do I have so much bad luck? Why do bad things always happen? Well, the universe will answer that question too. <laughs> but it'll point the finger right at you, you see? So we want to so live in, in a certain 
empowering questions, and then we become available to the answers either through intuition, insight, a hunch, you know, however it rolls for people, it'll come through and then your life will take on a different trajectory based on the questions you ask. Mm -hmm. You spoke about asking empowering questions and I obviously assume that you believe that all our prayers are heard. What are the sort of questions that we should be asking of the divine? You can ask, you know, I I, I came up with something many years ago called the life visioning process. And so I'll, I'll invite people to ask, what is it that's trying to emerge through me right now? What is, and you can use different words, you know, what is God's idea of itself as my life? What is the vision for my life? If you begin to ask that kind of question, you go beyond what you go beyond parental fantasies, what your the fantasies your parents have about you. You go beyond societal fantasies, what society wants you to do. And you start to tap into your own soul because everyone has come here with something to deliver, something to give, something to share. Uh, but sometimes we get caught in other people's agendas. But if we ask, what is it that's within me that's trying to emerge? It will start to speak to you in dreams. It'll start to speak to you if you give yourself some moments in meditation and uh, moments when you're not even thinking. And as you begin to articulate what's trying to come through and then agree, come into an alignment, you come into an agreement that you're willing and willing through intention to walk in that direction, doors begin to open. And, 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 and that which appeared to be so hard or impossible to do, things start to open up for you. You see, because you're now, you're now in tune with your soul. You're in tune with your own life essence. You're not just in tune with the society. Society is just status quo thinking, you know, and no one, not one person came to earth to capitulate to the status quo. Everyone came to expand the status quo. But if you lose your power, then you just capitulate to it. You see? So by asking the empowering question, you know, you have to, you, have, you develop a level of courage to realize that um, you might be about something that's going to rock the boat a little bit. It, it might, you may come up with a new idea about something, a new invention, a new song, a new, new fashion, new choreography, new way of healing, you know, it may rock the status quo boat, but that's, that's how human beings, that's how we evolve, you see. And uh, we're, here, we're here to do that. Uh, and it takes a little bit of courage because many people, we have a, a, an innate desire to belong. But when you get past that and you really want to be, belong to yourself, you'll, you'll find a group that resonates with you. <laughs> There's a spiritual family. Yes, I, I feel that happened for me many years ago and I often get a lot of messages and emails from people who are going through this transition telling me how lonely it is. And I say to them, don't worry, you will, you will attract the right people and you will then be in so much bliss. The prayer that I often say after my meditation is, move me in the direction of my highest good, 
open the doors that you want me to walk through and close the ones that you don't. And I sometimes think that's a bit brazen because it's it can be scary and I kind of have seen it happening. But I feel that way I'm in harmony with with my greatest good and I'm working together with a higher source to create good in the world. Absolutely. What you just said is powerful. You're, 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 that's a great intention and it's a great movement of thought. It's a great movement of energy. And it's, you're declaring something, moving in the direction of my highest good. It's powerful. Yes. That's, that's exactly what we want people to do. And so you're, by saying that, you're also saying you're not a victim to circumstance. Mm. You're not, you're not waiting around to see what's going to happen. You're saying, move me in the direction of my highest good. You're, you're, you're establishing yourself yeah. as an authority over your own life and a direction you want to go, which is for your highest good. It's, it's very powerful. You say that every being is living in a different world based on their perception of it. Can you explain that to us? Absolutely. There's a, there's a difference between the world and the planet. The planet is Mother Earth. Gaia, you know, has rivers and lakes and oceans and rainforests. And it's, it's, a, living, it's a living being. That's, that's the Earth. And then there's the world. The world is held together by uh, perceptual agreements. It's held together by uh, thoughts and beliefs and opinions and points of view. So that means that two people can be standing near the same spot on the earth, but be in different worlds. They can have different worldviews, different opinions, different perceptions, you see, uh, and so everyone's living in a different world. Now, when I had my first initial opening and that was shattered, I could see the world without all of the noise around it. And the world as it really is, is abundance and beauty and love and harmony and joy. This, it's everywhere. Mm. And those qualities are everywhere except where it's being suppressed by a limited perception. Yes. And so the world, excuse me, the people on the planet, many of them have an agreement about lack, limitation, scarcity. They actually believe there's not enough good to go around. That's a worldview and it creates an experience of that, you see. And um, what I know is that that's not true, that, that, that there's, a, there's a different world that exists. And it's full to overflowing with possibility. It's that, you know, the quantum physicists would say that we're living in a quantum field of infinite potential and infinite possibility. And from the mystical perspective, you know, we would say that this presence is everywhere and, uh, and there's nothing outside of it. And it's alive and teeming with itself, which is called life. And that's a different world. Yes. And uh, what we want to do is begin to invite people into that world and people come into that world two ways. They come in through it, uh, through a pain crisis or insight, you know, that's how we grow. You have enough, people have enough pain, a crisis in their life, or they have an insight. Yes. And then they see it. And once you've seen it, 
You can't unsee it. You can't unsee it. That is so true. Once you've been put into the light, you can't be taken away from it. Michael, manifestation is an area that I love talking about and I know that you are a huge master in. Can you explain the best ways for us to manifest our dreams and desires using the techniques that you have learned? Yeah, I, I, I teach, just, just to give you context, you know, I, I, I have taught over the years that there are four stages of yes. spiritual growth, development, and unfoldment. So I know, you, I'm sure you're aware of this. And so it, it gives a context about manifestation. So the first stage is victim. People that are living in the victim stage, they have a belief that someone outside of themselves or something outside of themselves determines their destiny. Something that happened in the past or whatever the case may be. Yes. As an individual grows, they begin to be aware that there are mental and spiritual and uh, laws of the universe that can be used, you know, and there's a linguistic, con- a linguistic convenience called the law of attraction where people begin to learn. They can, they can actually begin to manifest their dreams through creative visualization uh, through soulful intentionality, through embracing the inner feeling that what they want, they already have. So this is a way that one begins to put their toe into the water of metaphysical manifestation. Uh, most people, many people have um, worst case scenarios yeah. that are in their minds all the time. You know, what if this bad thing happens? What if this... And they end up uh, trying to uh, not feel those particular things. They do many things. They do uh, uh, what's called compulsive behaviors to not participate in the fear of their worst case scenarios. But you can train the mind to have best case scenarios. You know, what if this day was the best day of my life? What if everything works together for my good? What if I have all of my needs met all the time? You can begin to reprogram the very neurons of your brain to participate in something good that's trying to happen for you. So that's, we, I call that stage two. That's how you, you use the laws of manifestation through visualization, creative, creative use of your imagination, uh, up-leveling, your, up-leveling your conversation. So your conversation is affirmative, like what you said, what you say to yourself in terms of, of walking in the direction of your highest good, opening up all the doors for you, closing the door. You know, this is, this is the way that you begin to move in that, di- that direction. And then something happens and... Instead of making things happen with your mind, you begin to let things happen with your heart, meaning Mm. you're not making it happen anymore. You're making it welcome. Yes. Because you're beginning to see that at the meta level, it's already happened. Mm. You can't make love. You can't make joy. You can't make abundance. It's already here. What you're doing is opening yourself up and allowing it to flow through you. So stage three is through us. Stage one, something's happening to you. Yes. Stage two, something is happening by you. Mm-hmm. Stage three, something's happening through you. Yes. You've done enough inner work that you see that you're in the, you get into the zone. Yes. Something's happening through you. It's, it's a peak experience. It's a whole different vibe. Yes. 
you see. It's it's so interesting. So I, I just, you talking about that, I started doing this meditation probably two months ago and it's a pure love meditation. It goes, it's like two hours or so long and I do it once a week because it's hard to find the time to do such a long meditation. But the whole idea is that you're, you just go into a state of love you connect your mind with your heart and have this beautiful kind of, you know, meeting of the two and it's it's so unbelievably powerful. You raise your vibration. And ever since I started doing it, I have experienced the most miraculous, firstly, mystical experiences, but secondly, just being in that feeling of love and knowing that that is what you are then exuding to the world, your life begins to change. It is It is one of the most powerful things I think I've ever done. Yeah. You're in flow and mm. you're not in your way. You're not in the way of life seeking to express itself by means of you. Yes. It's a, it's, a, it's, it's flow motion. Mm. It's, yeah. It's flow motion. And then that the fourth state is being Yes, where there's no separation between you and life. You're just, it's a great state of being where you're it doesn't mean you're not doing anything, uh, but the sense of s- separation has dissolved. So in terms of manifestation, you know, you have to have clear, clear intention, a clear articulation of what you want. You begin to feel that you already have it and you walk in the direction of your dreams every single day, doing a little bit every day. Yes. Uh, and then the next level is, is the life visioning process where you actually open yourself up to the vision, describe it. You then um, <clears throat> ask yourself, you know, what is it that I need to become in order to manifest the vision? Because you can't, you cannot have what you're not willing to become in consciousness. Yes. It's an impossibility. Or if you do get something through manipulation, you'll lose it later. Mm. So you have to, as you were talking about lifting your vibration, you have to actually become it vibrationally. Mm. So let's say a person is sitting and they're going into the visioning process and they begin to see um, that they are to... Um, be the founder of, of a business that's going to help humanity some kind of way. Yeah. And they're able to describe it. And then they would ask the question, what must I become for this to manifest? And they would start to get where they would need to grow in their own life. Mm. You know, where is their growing edge? Do they need to, do they need to be more loving? Do they need to learn more about business? Do they, you know, what's, do they need to hone certain skills? Yeah. What do I need to become? And then you would ask the question, what do I already have that can be in service to the vision? Mm. In other words, sometimes we have gifts and we have resources, but they're so close to us that we take them for granted. Yeah. So if you ask, what do I already have that can be in service to the vision? You'll start to get glimpses of things that you already have that you put to the side maybe or aren't using. And you'll understand the, the law as it's described in the scripture that said to he or she who has more is given, but to he or she who has not even that which they have shall be taken away. It's not personal. It's just the law. Yeah. If you begin to feel that you have more comes, yes. but if you feel you don't have, then you're using the law in reverse yes. and what you have is taken away. So what do I have? Then you begin to live with that feeling of having. And then you ask, what is it that, I, that, that no longer serves me that I can let go of? 
because all spiritual growth is really about eliminating something mm. because you already have everything. So what do I, what can I, what can I let go of? And you may, what may bubble up are habits, what may bubble up are low level conversations, um, what, what may, may come up or just things that you're doing that you don't, that don't serve you anymore. And you let, you become, once you do that, then you go into willingness. Yes. You tap into the feeling of willingness. I'm willing to see this vision. I'm willing to articulate it. I'm willing to become what's necessary. I'm willing to embrace what I have. I'm willing to let go of what doesn't serve me. And then from there, you go into an affirmative prayer and you let it go and you walk in the direction of your dream every single day. Yeah. And you'll start, as you described, you'll start to change and, and you'll become the individual vibrationally that can manifest the vision. And it'll sneak up on you. <laughs> <laughs> because you're, you're changing, you're growing. Yeah. It's not like, what, you, what, what people must realize is you're not going to stay the same and yeah. change the world. Yes. Or stay the same and change your world because your world's a reflection of you. Mm. You're going to change and grow and evolve and transform. And then the world's going to change. Yes. Your world's going to change. Yes. The kind of people you hang around with are going to change. The kind of conversations you have are going, to, are going to change. Your actions are going to change. Your habits are going to change. You'll look back and you won't even recognize who you used to be. Yes. I mean, I'm yeah. sure you and I both have that. Um, oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. I, and manifestation has obviously been talked a lot about with a lot of people. Is it manifesting something of your highest good? People who think they just want to manifest a car or a relationship, how, how does that work? In the beginning stages, people, you know, we call it uh, parking spaces, yeah. cars and princes and prin princes and princes. You know, <laughs> you, know you, you want your mate, you want your car, you want your house, you want yeah. your parking space, you want your, you know. And in, in the beginning, it, it's fun. That's why that's, you, you learn about the law of doing that kind of stuff. But that's not true manifestation. Yes. True manifestation is when you evolve as a being. Mm. True manifestation contains the evolution of your soul plus whatever it is that's coming into visible form. So it's not just, oh, I close my eyes and I visualize the right house and I got it. You know, those, those, that's, that's not true. That's manifestation, but it's not true manifestation. Yes. And you, you may manifest a house, but you might lose it if you're not the right person. Uh, you, you might be still unhappy. You might be, not be able to pay the note. You know, true manifestation is when you unleash something of your being that was latent before. You've become more yourself. You've evolved. And so you have your cake and eat it too. Yeah. You, 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 you have the kingdom of heaven and all of the added things. But many people become addicted to the law of manifestation and they just keep manifesting more and more and more stuff, but they're not happy. Yes. So they had to keep manifesting. Oh, I want... I got 100 million, I want 200 million. Why? I want 800 million. Why? What, 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 are, you, what are you going to buy with 800 million that you can't buy with 100 million? Yeah. You know, um, I want eight cars. Why? Why do you want eight cars? You can only drive one. You know, you know. so you be, people become addicts. Yes. 
to the law, but their soul is atrophying. You know, there was a, a gentleman a couple of years, a few years ago when we had the big uh, economic turndown, 2008, 2009, and he was a billionaire. But when the stock market crashed, he lost about 40% of his assets in one day. Yeah. So, so he went from a, a billion plus to about 600 million. He drove his Rolls Royce in front of a train track and committed suicide. Because mm. he was so identified mm. with his stuff yeah. that when he lost 40% a, a, a of his stuff temporarily, he couldn't bear to live. So he had not, so he had atrophied his soul. Yes. Accumulated a lot of stuff, but his soul had atrophied. He was still worth $600 million. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. a lot of money. <laughs> uh, but he killed himself. I mean, yes. that's an extreme case. But when you're really manifesting, you're evolving as a being mm. and you're bringing about things in the form more money, a greater, greater job. Uh, good health for the body temple or whatever whatever it is you're working yes. on, you see. Why yeah. is it important as well not to hold on to the vision too tight? There's that fine dance that we do with it and when we're, when we're holding on to something so tight, a lot of the time it doesn't come into existence or if it does, it, it gets taken away quite fast. Yeah, you, you said it when you said the highest and best interest yeah. or that which is best for all. Sometimes where we are in our perception, we cannot see outside of our own paradigm. Yes. We're only seeing from our own paradigm that was created by our own experience and our own beliefs. So if we're holding on to something, a lot of times what we're holding on to is born from our limited point of view. Mm. So we think we know what's good now, but we don't know the expanded limitless good that's everywhere. Yes. So we say... This is what we want in the highest and best interest of all concern, you know, this or something better. Yes. So that we can be, we can hold it loosely so we're not blocking to something better mm. that might be for us because we're holding uh, what we want so tightly, you see. So you have to be fluid and flexible. Yes. And then you're shocked <laughs> and surprised at times then things come to you. You weren't even, ex you didn't even know that existed. Yeah. You didn't even know uh, some of the good was even, you didn't, you didn't know that it existed and it comes like, wow, wow, where did that come from? Yeah. Well, it's, it's the better. Well, that's it. It's I think the, it's the this and there's something better. I think yeah. as well, when we have a limited idea of what we think is best for us, we're blocking the higher good that is potentially so much better than we could have ever envisaged for ourselves. Absolutely. Absolutely. You say pain pushes and the vision pulls. Can you explain yeah. that to us? Yeah. The, the, the universe, so presence, yeah. birthed the universe to, re, to reflect the infinite nature. So, it's, so another way of saying that Einstein said is the universe friendly I say the universe progressive. The universe is progressive. It's always expanding to reveal more and more and more of the infinite nature of the source. Yeah. Even when there's a small contraction, it expands again. So that means we are to unfold and to expand our consciousness as well. When we become stagnant, sometimes pain pushes us. 
the pain will push us until a larger vision pulls us. If we have a larger vision for our life, and that is our North Star, that's what's pulling us, we're always walking in the direction of expansion. If we don't have a vision and we're just uh, stagnant, then pain comes along to push us. Yeah. So I will say pain pushes until the vision pulls. Once you have a vision and you start to walk in that direction, the necessity for pain begins to diminish. You have less pain in your life yeah. because you're actually working to grow. In other words, we have to begin to wake up on a regular basis and say, how can I grow today? Mm. How can I be more myself today? Not just how can I get what I want today, but how can I become more myself today? I want to grow to be the next great vision and version of myself. Now, if I do that, I'm pulled by a vision and pain doesn't have to push me. How do people find their vision? You know, I suppose that's like having a purpose. Some people feel that they just can't find what theirs is. And I'm, I know that you believe that everyone has one. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I delineate between a vision and purpose. I, I feel that everyone has the same purpose. Yes. And that is to reflect and to reveal the cosmos in a way that has never happened before because we are all unique. Yes. So we have a unique, distinct way that we're going to reveal divinity or the cosmos, you know. So we have that purpose. We all have that purpose. Now, our, our, our mission is how we do it uniquely. Yeah. You have your mission. You, you have this magnificent podcast that brings on individuals that uplift and inspire people that uh, bring, engage people in much higher ways of thinking and being and doing. You have found your particular mission and a dimension of your vision. Yes. So, um, so in the vision process, we actually ask, what is the vision for my life? Mm. And we'll get hits, intuitive hits, little glimmages, which is like a glimmage, a glimpse and an image, feeling tones. We'll start to be, and a lot of times, we'll be reminded that when we were small kids, it was there within us. We had certain ideas mm. about what we wanted to do in the world, and then it got squelched down to a degree but when we when we ask the question it will start to come if you stay receptive particularly if you ask like when you before you go to bed at night you know what is the vision for my life what is what is what is the vision that my soul holds for me you'll start to get certain wisdom and guidance that will guide you in that direction there are no throwaway people there are no accidental people. Yeah. Everyone has something to give and to share. Everyone has some gift, something that they are to bring forth and express. Ask and you shall receive. I love mm -hmm. that. How important are prayer and meditation? Mm, ex ex extremely important. <laughs> Particularly if you know what prayer is. Like yes. um, the way a person prays, is based upon their understanding of God. Yeah. Now, if, if an individual thinks that God is a man in the sky that's giving out blessings and things like that, <laughs> that person may pray by begging or beseeching or trying to appease or please a, an external deity. But when you begin to be aware that the presence is never an absence, the presence is love and beauty and intelligence, life itself, conscious of itself, pure consciousness, then your prayer changes. It becomes more affirmative. 
Your meditation is a meditation of communion. You're communing with the presence. And your prayer is a prayer of realization, meaning you are praying to have a realization that what you want, you already have. Yeah. So I'm not going to beg God to give it to me. I'm going within to have a realization that what I think is missing, I actually already have it. Mm. Prosperity is already really here. I just can't see it. Yeah. Opportunities are already really here. I just can't see them right now. They're covered up by my limited perception. So prayer is very, very important. And meditation is important because meditation is the transportation to real transformation. Yes. Meditation is paying undistractable attention to reality, having little insights into the timeless mm. so that you're beginning to walk in the, uh, as an ambassador of the timeless reality. Uh, and it absolutely changes your character, changes your life. Uh, it it's, begins to eliminate the, um, the debris that we've uh, garnered throughout the course of our human experience. So meditation and prayer, can't live without them. No, I agree. Two <laughs> not, of my not real living. <laughs> two of my absolute most favorite things. Michael, you talk about how people dim their light to fit into other people's paradigms. Can you explain to us a bit about that? Yeah, there's such a desire to belong that people will actually um, dim their light, actually um, create bad spiritual posture. <laughs> you know, they, they would actually block their own magnificence. Yes. To just fit in to mediocrity. They'll hold hands with mediocrity rather than holding hands with greatness. Mm. A great teacher, Walter Russell, once said that mediocrity is self-inflicted and genius is self-bestowed. And so people inflict themselves with mediocrity just to fit in. They'll gossip, they'll talk about people, They'll complain. They'll just uh, just to fit in to yeah. to the group, and and they'll inflict themselves with mediocrity to fit into the group and dim their light. Sometimes uh, a person doesn't want to be too uh, bright because they're afraid they also might be attacked because mediocrity does attack excellence. Yeah. And if you start to shine too brightly, you start to become very successful the mediocre people will come out and they will talk about you. Mm. They, who does she think she is doing this? You know, she thinks she's a know-it-all or whatever. You see, the people are afraid of criticism. Yeah. How does one keep shining their light when that happens? Basically, you learn how to bracket, put to the side your thought about what other people are thinking about you. Yes. In other words, people oftentimes dim their light because they're living by what they think other people are thinking about them. Mm -hmm. No, you have to live by what your soul is thinking about yes. you, what God is thinking about you. And that's what you carry. Because most of the time, many people aren't really even thinking about you. They're thinking about what you're thinking about them. You know, <laughs> <It's so laughs> it becomes true. this cyclical, you know, so Stop thinking about what other people are thinking about. Yeah. You know, you, you're, you're having a one-on-one -on -one relationship with you, a one-on-one -on -one relationship with your own soul. And what it thinks about you is 
There's so much brilliance, untapped genius, beauty, innovativeness, creativity, you see. All of that's within us. And so people will, you know, we see people do it all the time. They'll just dim their light. And I think, you know, it's like with, within the within the matrix of the newosphere, the mental atmosphere, women have a, 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 there's a scar, there's a woundedness about being burned at the stake. If a woman is too bright and too beautiful and too smart and too intelligent, has spiritual powers, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll pull upon the, the vibration of um, being burned at the stake. You know, I don't, I don't want that. I'm just going to just play small. Men sometimes will pull upon the frequency of being crucified if they're too bright, yes. you see. And so it's, just, it's within the matrix of the human, uh, of the newosphere, you know, the mental atmosphere. The only thing that's going to be killed is mediocrity and limitation within us. You know, when I was stabbed in the heart, a lot of mediocrity died. Mm. Um, and so, so that fear is there, the fear of being criticized. Because if you start to shine too brightly, mediocrity will rise up and attack you. But after a while, you don't even, you know, I, I, I've been in the public's eye now over 35 years. And I have, I, I don't even care what people say about yes, me. It's not, yes. you know, uh, the, 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 there's two imposters, two imposters, praise and criticism. And once you learn to identify both of those two imposters, imposters, you don't run to praise and you don't run from criticism. Mm. You just, they're just there. Yes. And you just observe them and keep on stepping. You don't yeah. live for praise. You don't live to not be criticized. You live so that your soul is magnifying brilliance and excellence and love and generosity and creativity. That's so beautiful. Michael, what is the most mystical experience you have ever had? And you've obviously had a few. <laughs> oh my God! Well, I've told you two of them. Yes. Uh, that that light, uh, the light that I had six weeks ago. Um, I, I've I've had that before. I tell you, I was getting ready to teach a class. I was going to teach a class for uh, these for spiritual therapist, and I walked into the class, and the top of my head cracked open very loud, and this light rushed through my body, and it was so loud that I thought the class heard it. Wow. And I said, did you hear that? They said, no. So I was aware that I was having an inner experience. And there was a friend of the families who was like a, an oracle. <laughs> you know, she, she was a reader. And I, I didn't know her that well, but I went to see her, and she looked at me and she said, we've opened you at the top of your head. <clears throat> and the Christ energies are flowing through your body, you'll never have to prepare to speak again. <laughs> and, and so I was aware that something had happened. Yes. And that this flood of energy had moved through me. That was very, that was very spectacular. Um, before I started Agape, matter of fact, I'm doing a book on, on them. Actually, I'm doing a different chapter for different things that have happened. But one of the chapters I was, um, I, I'm writing about is... Uh, I was up at Big Bear meditating. This is, this is pre-agape. Yes. And this scroll rolled out of the sky. It was a scroll. And it rolled out. And it said, Michael Beckwith, to speak at this spiritual center 
and then it rolled up and it disappeared. So when I got home, the phone rang. There's this guy named Bill. And he said, we want you to come speak at our community. And I said, I know, I've stalled the scroll. And he said, what are you talking about? He said, what are you talking about? I said, oh, nothing, nothing, never mind. And, and he wanted me to come speak. I said, well, are you aware? At this time, I had no degrees, anything. I hadn't, I hadn't completed my uh, training at the School of Ministry. I hadn't become yes. a, a, science, a religious science practitioner at the time. I, I was just me. I just had a private, a public love affair with the presence of God. I was just... Yeah. I hadn't gone to any schools of, of like those kind of schools. And I said, why do you want me to speak? And he said, well, we were at this conference you were at, and we just really appreciated your presence and your vibration and how you were responding to people. And we thought you'd be the perfect person to speak now. So I said, yes. And then I got really, really nervous. I had never spoken publicly before, before this. Everything was always one-on-one, -on -one, people coming to see me. And so I laid down on the couch and I was falling asleep and I left my body and I started flying. <clears throat> and I looked back at Michael on the couch and I said, oh, Michael gets so nervous. Doesn't he understand yet that? And the moment I said the word that, I was back body conscious and nervous. What am I gonna say? I've never done this before. So subsequently I went to Tacoma, Washington. And I spoke at the spiritual community. Everything went well, it was beautiful. A lot of healings happened in the audience and it was great. So now, that was in, that was in 1979. Wow. 1989, 1988, 89, I'm in my second, third year of agape. Something was disturbing me. So I do what I do, I went into meditation. I split from Michael and I'm looking at Michael meditate. And I said, he doesn't have anything to worry about, I'm with him. Mm. And then I merged back, had the answer. Now, the difference between those two experiences is that the one in 1979, I was more identified with the guy on the couch being nervous. 1989, I had become more identified with the guy looking at Michael. Yeah. Integration had begun to happen. And so now, all these years later, there's more and more integration with the higher frequencies. It's not like a high, mm. or it's not like I'm channeling anything. I'm, 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 I'm more integrated with the, with the energy that's coming through, through me as me. So that was, that was a mystical experience at, at the time, this scroll rolling out, Wow. you know? And so I have a, I, I just pulled out the, uh, a notebook yesterday and I was just looking at the different chapters of the different kind of experiences that I've had. And I'm going to write it and it's going to say the experience and it's going to detail the principle then it's going to give the individuals a practice to follow in Beautiful. order to amplify that which I have described. Beautiful. Michael, yeah. what is your favorite prayer? Thank you. Gratitude. My favorite is to move into a high state of gratitude and thanksgiving and appreciation and give thanks for everything and nothing at all. And to just to hold the space of gratitude. <clears throat> Yeah, I just <laughs> <laughs> beautiful. What is the best advice yeah. that you have ever been given? Keep the main thing the main thing. <laughs> In other words, today I do a lot of things, but I keep the main thing the main thing, which is 
I do my meditation and I ask to be mm. of service. That's the main thing. Now, out of that, I may have business adventures. You know, I may uh, do other things, but I always keep the main thing, the yeah. main thing. My main thing is my connection with the presence and to be of service to the best of my ability. And then everything flows yeah. out of that. What's the lesson that has taken you the longest to learn? Uh, receiving. Um, my lesson has been uh, to really be open and available uh, to receive. I'm a great giver. Uh, I have a strong yes when people ask me uh, to assist, help, whatever. And I've grown, I've had to grow into actually being on the receiving end of the good. I'm not saying I went without. I'm just saying it's, it, was an, it was an energy uh, that, 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 uh, that made me limit the good coming into my life. And it's, it's pretty much healed now, but that was my, my greatest lesson. Okay. Just, being, being, just being worthy of the good coming in my direction. Yeah, yeah. What's your greatest hope for society today? <clears throat> I'm aware that in order to have an enlightened society, you have to have enlightened people. So my greatest hope, hope is that individuals actually, whether it's through a major crisis or whether it's through a tremendous in insight, actually come to an awareness of their oneness with the mm -hmm. presence and which will bring forth the elimination of fear. Fear is the greatest virus. The virus of the mind called fear is greater than any virus on the planet. And if, and if individuals can, can come to an awareness of who they are and fear is eliminated, so much of the um, hate and so much of just the manipulation and the domination and so much of that which goes on, by human beings will yeah. evaporate. Yeah. What is a life of greatness to you? A life of greatness is a, a, a continual unfoldment of the good that is within us coming out to be seen. It's a, it's a life that is lived to activate our full potential. Bliss is the function of activated potential that whenever you come to another level of your potential being activated, you come into states of bliss that have nothing to do with what's going on in the world. And so a life of greatness is a life of activated potential because what the universe hates is wasted yes. potential. Reverend Michael Beckwith, you are an absolute inspiration. Keep shining that bright light of yours. Thank you. Mm. Thank you for the invitation. Yeah, I appreciate what you're doing in the world and I'm here to be of service. For more inspiration and wisdom, I would love you to join me and my community on Instagram at a Life of Greatness podcast. To purchase my ebook Finding Greatness and watch videos on this and other episodes, head to sarahgrimberg.com. Love what you heard? Then we'd love you to hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favourite podcast app and leave a five-star review. It will help us share this wisdom with others. A 
Life of Greatness's executive producer is me, Sarah Grimberg. Audio producers Matt Nikolic and Darcy Thompson. Special thanks to Grant Tothill for bringing this dream to life. For more episodes, search a Life of Greatness podcast. Download the new listener app now and listen for free. 